0: Today with Catherine Ruinala. Praise God. I want to just recap a little bit of what I've been sharing because I want to take it a little bit deeper. I'm speaking today on the divine dinner bells, the heart of the Father to help us recognize the dinner bells that He rings, that we might go and eat with Him and have encounters with Him. You see, I look back over my life and I think that, there have been so many divine encounters that I can point to where a shift happened as the Holy Spirit did something in my heart as I had an encounter with God. You know, and all the way through Scripture, we can see this happening. Divine shifts happening through divine encounters. And God wants to take every one of us onwards and upwards into new things. He's got something new for us. He's got something fresh for us. He wants to give you hope and a future. That's what the word, the word of the Lord is. I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. But He wants to inject that hope into your heart and He'll do it as you read the Word of God, as you make time for Him, as you make room for Him. The Holy Spirit wants to speak to your heart and He has encounters for you that will bring shift. I mean, the very first major encounter I ever had with the Lord was my conversion experience. (gasps) I sought Him. I need to know you, God. I can't see you. I don't know you. Help. I oh, had an encounter with God where, oh, I know who I'm talking to now. Oh, I know who you are. You've revealed yourself to me in a supernatural way. And then through my life, I can see significant encounters that I had that led to, that were the, the uh, catalyst for divine shift into something new, into a, into a bigger breakthrough, into something fresh. And so I just want to show you through the Word of God today um, some of these divine encounters. We were looking. We've been looking at Matthew 17, the Transfiguration, and we read there in verse one that now after six days Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. After six days, we get the seventh day, that time of rest, that day of. Rest And the heart of the Father is he wants us out of a place of rest to lead us up the mountain, to lead us into a place of encounter with him. But he doesn't force us. He invites us and he'll lead us. When he leads, we have the choice of whether we'll follow or not. When we follow Jesus, we're not in handcuffs. He's not making us come after him. He's inviting us. And even after we're saved, he doesn't force us. He continually invites us. Come up higher. Come with me. And when you listen and you hear or you sense that prompting to to draw aside with Jesus to come up the mountain, you can have a confidence that every time you turn and you respond, so often those little little doors those little inklings are going to lead to big encounters hallelujah but they don't always look like what we expect but they went up on the mountain with him and he was transfigured before him before them his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as the light and behold Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here if you wish. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. He said that before, isn't it? You know, it's often a it's a recurring theme with the father when you come to him. It's like Jesus might have said, I know that. You already told me that. But no, this is his declaration over you. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved daughter with whom I am well pleased. How can you have confidence to know that's what God says about you? Well, the Bible says it's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. That we have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. That having been justified by faith, I have peace with God, which means he has nothing against me. (gasps) Thank you, God. When he looks at me, he says, your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Song of songs, hallelujah. God's delight, he, this is the way he'll so often begin when he speaks to us. He'll speak with, in a way that instead of getting straight to the point and getting on with the job, he just let us. I just want you to know, I love you. You are my beloved. You know, these words from the Father, they're not a waste of time. They're not just for the weak who really need it in that moment. He lavishes this love, like unnecessarily so. Like, I'm just going to tell you this because I love you. Even if you're not in that place if I really needed to hear that right now, I'm just going to tell you anyway. You are my beloved with whom I am well pleased. And when we believe that about God, we'll be unafraid of approaching the throne of grace. Hallelujah. Amen. This is better than you're reacting. This is good news. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. That's a cloud of glory. And miracles and, and encounters happen in the glory of God. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, arise and don't be afraid. And when they'd lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And, uh, you know, I believe as we look at that and recognize the Father was allowing them to have this amazing encounter. And out of that encounter, they were commissioned. Hear him. And the thing that he said next, the thing that Jesus said next to them, we better listen to if this has just been a glory encounter where the Father has audibly spoken and said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Hear Him. You want to know what He has to say next, right? So what does Jesus say next? He says, don't be afraid. Arise, don't be afraid. Arise, don't be afraid. He wants to cast out all fear with His love. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And he tells them about the fact that he's going to die and he's going to suffer and he's going to be raised up again from the dead and that he wants them to go and tell everybody about him rising from the dead and about this transfiguration um, moment after he's been raised from the dead. Over and over again, we see people in Scripture having these significant encounters with the Lord that bring a fresh commissioning or bring a fresh shift into something new. We think about Moses and the burning bush. When Moses was like 70 years old, tending his father Jethro's sheep. He saw a bush that was burning and it wasn't being consumed. And he said to himself, I'm going to turn aside and give my attention to this. I'm going to see this thing. And when the Lord saw, this is what the Scripture says, when the Lord saw that he turned aside, when he, when he turned to see this thing, he spoke to him. And out of the bush, he began to commission Moses. This is what I've got for you. This is, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go and set my people free. He commissioned him. But it happened when Moses turned aside and gave his attention to something supernatural. You know, God, God doesn't force us into encounters. He waits to see if we'll give our attention to it. Sometimes we can have amazing worship or a, we can get a great revelation as we're reading. Like I get excited as I go to sleep. I'm reading a scripture. I'm like, oh, it's so good. But you can take it and go, that's a great word. That's a good word. Or you can take it and go, I think that's a door into a bigger a bigger revelation and you can stay there and mine it look at it again the next day go a little deeper oh what's God saying here because sometimes we miss the invitations the dinner bells because we don't recognise that God is calling us to turn aside and give it our attention and when we do God has something for us in that place if you want to turn with me to Luke 24 there's an interesting story there about the road to Emmaus. And it's after the crucifixion. And there's some disciples who are just really discouraged. Like, I mean, I think that's the understatement. This, this is really bad. They have just murdered the one that we thought was, was the Christ. And now they're persecuting us, coming after us. This is just dreadful this is not how we expected we expected that he would come and overthrow the oppressive government and he basically didn't even address it he just told us to like turn the other cheek and give our cloaks as well as give our tunics or go two miles if they ask you to go one and like and now he's dead and they were so discouraged because he didn't meet the expectations that they thought was supposed to happen and as they're walking along these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they um, suddenly had this stranger catch up to them and just start listening into their conversation and just adding into their conversation. And as they were talking about how terrible it all was, he was, don't you guys realize that like all the way through Scripture, this has been prophesied? And from the book of Genesis all the way through, he just began to unpack all the Scriptures about the Messiah and how he had to suffer, and that he would be raised from the dead. And, and as they were listening, the Bible tells us that their hearts were burning. Let's have a look here um, in Luke, 4, uh, Luke 24. We'll start at verse 28. As they approached the village where they were going, and he, he acted as though he was going to go on further. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it's getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. I love this. Jesus sort of just drops in on the conversation. They don't know it's Jesus. The Bible actually tells us this in verse 16. Their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. But still... (sighs) Our hearts are burning. And then they say here, they got up from that very hour, verse 33, and returned to Jerusalem. Oh, excuse me, verse 32. They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the Scriptures to us? Their hearts were, oh, this is good. And as they came to their destination, Jesus acted as though he was going to keep going. Because he was waiting to see whether they would pull on him, whether they would ask for more. And they did. They went, um, you want to come eat with us? Uh, Come come and stay with us. And so Jesus did. And then they had the revelation. (gasps) It's the Christ. It's Jesus. He's, He's been risen from the dead. And they go running back to Jerusalem. And all of their despondency is over. And suddenly they've shifted out of despair and discouragement into hope and passion, into purpose. I have to tell everybody about this. You know, this can happen in a moment as we make room for God, as we turn aside to give our attention to what is making our hearts burn. Sometimes it's just like a little flicker hmm, that sounds interesting, mm. And you turn aside and you give it a little bit of attention. You talk to the Lord about it and read. Oh, I felt a little invitation recently as I was just getting so much out of Psalm 56 and other Psalms. I felt like, mm, I feel like there's an invitation just to read right through the book of Psalms and just really enjoy it. And I've been going through and, whoa. Oh, it's so good. Morning and night with my head in the Psalms and oh, this is delicious, God. And I believe that as we learn how to be led by the Holy Spirit to lean into what He is saying and what He is doing, God wants to enrich you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to strengthen you. Amen. We see it again um, in, in the book of Acts. If you want to have a look there significant shifts that happen when we make room for God. If you want to have a look at Acts chapter 4, and the disciples are threatened and they're told by the um, the leaders that, hey, you got to keep your mouth shut. Don't talk about this anymore. Keep your mouth shut. I don't want you talking about this Jesus anymore. And they come back to their friends and brothers and sisters in, in the Lord, and they come back and they gather together. And the Bible tells us here that they, they gather together to pray. And here as they're gathering together, I'm going to read from verse 29. They say, And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bond servants may speak your word with all confidence, while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the Word of God with boldness. Now this isn't um, this isn't something to just skip past. The disciples, the apostles had all been, Filled with the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. They'd been baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire. Tongues of fire on their heads. They'd been filled with the Spirit as, the Holy, as Jesus breathed on them. But then he told them, wait, tarry in Jerusalem till you're clothed with power from on high. And then here they're being filled again and getting fresh boldness. You see, the Holy Spirit hasn't got just one encounter for you. He hasn't just got one, a one-time filling. He wants to fill you and fill you and fill you and refresh you. He wants to fill you with holy boldness. But it comes as you make a choice. When you are faced with opposition, when you're faced with difficulty, we have a choice whether we're going to get despairing and discouraged or whether we're actually going to make some room for God to speak. And for God to move. Hallelujah. I see it again in Acts chapter 10. Um, This is a fascinating story. And it's the story of Cornelius. You can read here in verse 2 of chapter 10 that Cornelius was a devout man and one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. And he tells him exactly where to find him. Cornelius as he fixed his gaze on the invitation from the Lord as he just lived a lifestyle of giving of generosity and continually talking to the Lord praying the Lord spoke and when the Lord called him he gave it his complete attention and then the Lord spoke to him and at the, so he goes and he sends his servants to go to Joppa to find this guy, Peter. And on the way, the Lord thinks, well, I'm going to give Peter the heads up now. So Peter, it tells us here, um, you can have a look uh, on, in verse 9. On the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. But he became hungry and was desiring to eat. Does that ever happen to you while you're praying? I'm hungry. <laughs> I just love it. It's so real. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance and he saw the sky open up and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. And a voice came to him saying, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean or unholy. And again, a voice came to him a second time. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. This happened three times and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. And now while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision which he had seen might be, behold... The men who'd been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate. And calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying there. While Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Get up, go downstairs and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. So Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I'm the one you're looking for. What's the reason for which you've come they said we're going to take. We want to take you to Cornelius. He sent you. He's seen a vision, and we know that that encounter that Cornelius had and the encounter that Peter had led to the gospel being preached to the Gentiles, a whole shift in their mindset and their understanding of the will of God. Oh, major shift. Over and over again, we see major shifts happening as people give their attention and their, their focus to what the Lord is saying and what He's doing. You know, I believe that the Lord is wanting each one of us to recognize that there are dinner bells being rung for us. I love that Peter was hungry and he's like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm just up on the roof praying. I'm hungry. Are they going to fix the dinner? And then he has a vision about food. And some of us might go, it's just me being hungry. But he didn't even consider that. He's like, "Ah, oh, I'm seeking God. He's giving me something. I don't understand this. I love, I love the words, don't call unholy what I have made holy. Don't call unclean what I have made clean. And this is something the Lord speaks to me personally often. He'll say that to me when I'm like, I'm wretched, I'm hopeless, I'm useless, I'm such a sinner. He'll say, don't call unholy what I've made holy. Don't call unclean what I've made clean. Hallelujah. He's unimpressed with your self-righteousness or your false humility. He's only impressed by your faith. You, you like, I'm going to be holy by telling him how terrible I am. What you're doing is you're actually expressing unbelief. He says, don't call unholy what I've made holy. Don't call unclean what I've made clean. And the, and the Lord was helping Peter recognize, whoa, this gift of God, the, the, the resurrection, the salvation of Jesus is for everybody. Wow. God, salvation has come to the Gentiles too. This is so glorious. And I believe the Holy Spirit is wanting to bring shifts in our life. I, I've had so many times where I've felt little pulls from the Holy Spirit. And as I've leant into it, I've had big opportunities. I remember when I very, my very first ministry trip, when we were um, going on a trip to the U.S., First time ever I was ministering overseas. I was so green and, and had hardly preached anywhere. And we had an invitation to New Jersey that we felt the Holy Spirit wanting us to take. But while I was still in Australia, I was asking the Lord, what do you want to do in America? And he highlighted this town I'd never heard of, Branson, Missouri. I was like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know anybody in Branson. I didn't tell anybody about it. But after I'd finished ministering in New Jersey, the pastor there says, I've got some friends in Branson. Would you guys like to go out to Branson? And immediately I went, yes, because the Holy Spirit had spoken to me about it beforehand. Well, as we got into Branson, turns out there was a cancellation on a national television program. And I, I went along to, uh, with the pastor's wife to go and hear Um, this program being recorded, they asked me, she said, can you, um," she introduced me to the hosts and said, can you prophesy, can you pray for them? I just prayed for them. I had a word for them. And the next day there was a cancellation and they said, can we get that Australian on? And three months earlier, I'd had a prophetic word that my name was going to be in big letters all over America. So I'm on the program and They're telling me, prophesy over America. And Tom's sitting in the audience and he looks up on the camera and there's my name in big letters at the bottom of the screen and it's being aired all over America. Little, little, little leanings can lead to big opportunities. As a result of that, more and more doors of opportunity opened up in such a significant way. Now we're on, we have the privilege of being on television all over the world. I've had other times where I felt little, "Mm, I feel like God's speaking to me about this or about that. And instead of just letting it go as, I don't know, maybe that's my own thoughts, maybe that's my own imagination but actually leaning into it going, what are you saying about that, God? Yes, I agree with you. I believe. I receive that. Yes, God. And begin to declare what we I believe he's saying to me. I've seen it unfold. I've seen it happen. Hallelujah.